Okay, I am reading from Isaiah 25, 6 to 9. On the mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited uh, for. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your all-encompassing love. We know you provide abundantly for all who love and trust you. Help to open our hearts and accept God's sacrifice of his son to banish death and deliver his people from the veil cast over them. Let us affirm our trust in the Lord and rejoice in the salvation he freely brings us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lexi. If you have a Bible, you can open that up to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 is where we will be uh, this morning. Um, as you guys know, we have been in a sermon series over the last, this is now the uh, fourth week, uh, where we have been talking about the mission, vision, and strategy of Grace Hill Church. And uh, our leaders and our team have been putting a lot of work uh, into this over the last year, kind of dating even back before the pandemic started. And so we've been going through this every single week, actually taking one week for each of the components of our strategy uh, at Grace Hill. But let me just remind all of us uh, where we're at. And if you've missed any of the last three weeks, I really encourage you to go to our website or our YouTube channel and look at those last three sermons. It's because this is where we're going uh, as a church. And I think it's important uh, that we're all on the same page with it. But let me, let me catch this up, all right? So I'm gonna put the mission statement uh, on uh, the screen here. The, the mission of Grace Hill Church is to be a diverse community that follows Jesus, loves people, and is safe to be known. And we've really been dialing in on what do we mean by safe to be known over the last two weeks of this series. And so I would really, again, encourage you to go listen to those sermons if you've missed those. But this is what we believe Grace Hill Church has been called to do. And, and the question we need to ask then is how? How are we going to go about doing that? That would be our strategy. And we formed our strategy by asking the question, well, what was Jesus' strategy when he was here ministering that we can read about in Scripture? And we came up with four words. Remember the word this. Uh, teaching was week number one. This is all about being committed to God's word. We need to know God through knowing his word. Uh, healing was week two. 
And this is all about knowing ourselves, our, our sinfulness, and our journey through living in this broken world, and exactly where Jesus wants to heal and transform us. Week three, we talked about, this was last week, incarnation. Jesus stepped out of heaven to be with us. He was present with us and is today. And so we talked about, this is about, we need to know one another, be committed to one another, and be present with one another because we have been called to do this life and to practice our faith together, not individually. And Evan did a fantastic job last week preaching from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, on that. And so obviously this morning we're going to be in our fourth str- uh, component of the strategy, strategy sending. Now, before we jump into there, if you remember, I, we've been bringing along this stool slash plant stand uh, every single week as an illustration. And one of the things we've been saying is that just like a three-legged stool where every leg of the stool is indispensable for the stool to be able to do the thing that it's designed to do, we believe that those first three components, teaching, healing, incarnation, are indispensable. All three have to be present in the life of a church for the church to be able to do the thing that it has been called to do. And you might be asking the question, well, Alan, what is the church called to do? But what is that? Well, that's why we have a mission statement, but let's look at the mission statement that Jesus gave his disciples, his apostles, when he commissioned them to go start the church. That's found in Matthew 28. He he said this, I'm gonna put it up on the screen. It says, Jesus came to them. That's all of his disciples. This is after his resurrection. He's about to ascend to be with the Father. It's kind of his last call to them before he leaves. It says, and Jesus came to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why? Because I just went to the cross, died, was put in the grave, and resurrected. All right, I'm Lord. All right, so all authority is given to me. Here's the mission I'm giving you. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you. And fear not, I will be with you until the end, of the, in the end of the age. So when we ask the question, what has the church been charged to do? Well, it's to make disciples. Make disciples of Jesus Christ. The reality is that every single one of us, if we trust in Jesus as our Savior, we have been saved, meaning that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. He's starting that process of cleaning us up. He's accepted us into the family of God. But it also means, if you trust in Jesus, that you have been called into a new life, a different life, to to, to walk away from the life of this world and to live differently, think differently. That is what it means to make disciples to proclaim the gospel, and to call people into this new life of following Jesus. And listen, what we're saying is that I don't think that the church can do what it's called to do, make disciples without all three legs, all three components. Think about that for a second, right? If we said, okay, what's leg number one? That's teaching, right? Knowing God through knowing his word. Let's say, well, can the church make disciples without that leg? Well, what are we making disciples of if we're not committed to the word of God? 
If we say, well, hey, the word of God to us, it's kind of like a guide. There's some great suggestions and wisdom and stories to follow, some moral examples that kind of, you know, point us in the right direction. But at the end of the day, we're not going to submit to the word of God. You are free to submit to whatever you think would be best for you. And the reality is we've been called into a new life as a disciple, and that's a new life of Jesus being Lord. He's Lord. His word is what we submit to. And so the church can't make disciples of anything if we're not committed to the word of God. Because what are we making disciples of? Or if we think about the second leg, all right, healing. This reality that Jesus wants to transform us. He wants to heal us. He wants to change us and grow us and mature us. All of the baggage that we have from living in a broken world, he wants to bring healing and transformation to that. And so let's say as a church, we go, well, that doing that work of digging in, of confession, uh, of seeing where Jesus wants to change and transform us, that's a, that's a little too intimate. That's a little too close. And so we're not going to be a church that does that. We're going to be a church where essentially attend on Sunday, enjoy, live your life how you want for the rest of the week. We can't make disciples if that's who we are. That just means that our faith is extracurricular, right? It's, a, it's an event we attend, not a transformative force in our life actually changing us. And so again, right? The church isn't going to make disciples of Jesus if we're not committed to where Jesus wants to transform us. And then obviously, the third leg, right? Doing life together. Uh, Man, this might be the leg that in our culture here in America, and Evan preached on this last week, where it's so tempting for us to say, ah, this leg's optional, right? I, I, I can practice my faith and follow Jesus just fine by coming to church and reading my Bible in the mornings and kind of doing my thing and not doing it with other people involved in my life. That's the lie of our culture, right? We're a hyper-individualistic culture, but the reality is is we take this leg away. We take away the primary way God changes and grows and sanctifies you. He does it primarily through other people people, other people speaking his word to you, other people encouraging you and admonishing you, other people staying committed to you, even when life gets hard. If we say, oh, my faith is just going to be an individual thing, we're not making any disciples because we've just removed the primary way God grows us through other people. And so we believe that in order to make disciples, we've got to have all three components of the leg. And the reality is this. If we can't make disciples inside the church through having all three components, then we also don't believe we'll be able to make disciples outside the church, aka actually going to our neighbors and proclaiming the gospel and inviting them in to partake. We do not believe we'll be able to do that without all three components. And that leads us to our fourth component of the strategy, and that is sending. When Jesus was here, he sent his disciples out. He didn't just teach and heal, and he wasn't just with them. He sent them out to go proclaim the good news of the gospel and to proclaim the kingdom of God to everyone. 
And that is what the church has been called to do, to go out to our neighbors, to love them and proclaim the kingdom of God to them, to proclaim to them that, hey, there is something better than what this world can offer you. You have been created for a completely different purpose and it's what this world will tell you. It is possible for you to experience joy and peace and transformation and healing and all of these good things through being reconciled to your creator. See, the reality is that the church of Jesus Christ has been called to go and represent the kingdom of God to our neighbors and to the world around us. That when our neighbors encounter the church, that they actually encounter something that smells and tastes and and feels like the kingdom of God. But how can we represent the kingdom of God if we don't have these three components a part of us? How are we going to feel and taste like and seem like the kingdom of God? How are we going to back up the proclamation that we have with our lips if they come in and they experience the church, but they don't experience these three things? I think it's impossible. In fact, I actually think to our neighbors, a church without these three components will be uncompelling. Why why would I consider that? Let me give you another illustration to think about this. In the scripture, and we just read this in Isaiah 25, but it's everywhere. Start to finish, it ends like this in Revelation. The Bible gives an illustration, uh, kind of this image of the kingdom of God like a banquet table. It's big feast, right? And Revelation says that at the end of the age, when Jesus returns and gets rid of sin, we're all gonna be at this huge feast with God. We're going to just enjoy the food, like Isaiah 25 that Lexi just read. I love the imagery of that, right? That feast is going to have well-aged wine and rich food full of marrow, that's red meat, on the table. And we're going to feast together. So this is an image of the kingdom of God. And if the church is called to be representative of the kingdom in this world, that people could get a taste of the kingdom through their encounters with the church, then in many ways, it's like the church should be like this banquet table. And what we've been called to is to go out into our neighborhoods, into our city, into our places of of work and everywhere else and invite our neighbors to come in and have a seat at this table. And so think about this. I want you to imagine. I thought about bringing a dining room table in here and all this stuff, but I didn't do that. But imagine just a table here, and it's, it's full of people who are feasting together. And we've been called to go out and invite someone in to have a seat at this table with us. Hey, come, enjoy, feast with us. Be reconciled to your creator. Just imagine, put that picture in your head, okay? You're inviting your neighbor There's some questions we need to ask about what we're inviting our neighbor into, right? So one question that we need to ask is this. Are we inviting our neighbor to a table where we're serving fast food? I mean, fast food tastes amazing at first. So salty and greasy, right? I never really eat fast food, but this Friday, I just, I went to Popeye's and got the spicy chicken sandwich which is subpar to Chick-fil-A's. And 
I felt terrible afterwards, right? It was so good, but it's not good for you. And so we have to ask ourselves, what are we serving at the table? Are we committed to God's word and serving truth of God's word at the table? Are we serving fast food that tastes good at first? It might lure people in, but it's not good for you. It's not gonna lead you to transformation and healing and reconciliation with your creator. And it's easy to lure people into the church by, ah, oh, well, we, we can fudge on this in God's word or we can maybe downplay that in God's word. That's gonna play better in the culture, but we're just serving fast food. We need to ask that question. Second question we need to ask is, are we inviting our neighbors to a table where in order for you to be comfortable at this table, in order for you to fit in at this table, you need to put a mask on. This is a table that if you bring your baggage, it gets awkward real fast. And so pretend to be someone you're not, and we're going to enjoy this feast together and leave all of the real stuff that we're struggling with, the real sin that we need to repent of. We're going to just leave that on the outside. And believe me, in the culture that we're in today and in the younger generations that are coming up today, they can sniff out a a, uh, a culture or a table or a group of people where to fit in here, you got to put on a mask like that. You're not going to be compelled by it. Third question real quick we need to ask is this, is, okay, if I'm going to invite my neighbor to this table and they sit at this table, is this a table where really everyone's not considering the other? Like everyone's at the table because they love the food and they want to feast on it and they know that it's good for them, but they're not really there for the other people to just kind of come in and come out as they please to the table? Will that be compelling to our neighbors? Right, the reality is without these three components that we've been preaching on the last three weeks, we just simply won't make disciples inside the church or outside the church. That table will not be compelling to our neighbors. So that leads me to Luke 14. Didn't mean to enter that as long as I just did, but you know what? Wanted a good recap of what we just went through over the last three weeks. And that brings us to Luke 14. If you open your Bible there, we're gonna be in verse 12. Here, Jesus is going to give what is called the parable of the great banquet. And just like we said, right, Jesus uses the imagery of a banquet table to describe the kingdom of God. So let's read, see what Jesus has to say to us this morning. It says this, starting in verse 12. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, so earlier up in the chapter, uh, Jesus was invited to the house of a Pharisee, so a very strict uh, Jewish sect, the Pharisees. He was at one of their houses. So Jesus said to that man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, or your relatives, or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Then he starts a parable. When one of those who reclined at table with him, Jesus, heard these things, he said to him, sorry, this is the Pharisee saying to Jesus, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. 
Then Jesus starts his parable. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many, many guests. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike, all together began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, so I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there's still room at the banquet table. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. And then Jesus says to the Pharisees, for I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. As I mentioned earlier, the banquet table in this parable is an image for the kingdom of God. And there are many, many people who've been invited to partake, to come and sit at the table, but they refuse. See, Jesus was at a Pharisee's house, like we said, so very strict Jewish sect. And the Jews, biblically speaking, were first invited to this table. So if you're doing our Bible reading with us, we studied Romans 1.16 last week, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? For it's the power of God for salvation for the Jew first, then for the Greek or the Gentile. And that's one of these biblical realities that God proclaimed the kingdom to the Jews first. But the Jews rejected it. They were invited, but they, they had other excuses. They wanted the label of being God's people, but they didn't want to follow Jesus. More concerned about the things of the world. Isn't that just like the church in many ways? People in the church who, I want the label of, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, I, I prayed that prayer. And it's kind of a, a, a de- definition that I put on my life. But remember what we said earlier. Those, have been tr- those who trust in Jesus have been saved and then called into a new life. And so many people, they've been invited to the table. They say that they've been invited to a table. That's the label they carry, but they don't want the new life. They don't want the following Jesus part. And so Jesus says that what he's going to do is he's going to send those who are at the table out to go fill the seats of the table of the people who refuse to come and sit. And he says, I'm going to send you out to two groups of people. I'm going to send you out to the streets and lanes of the city for the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. I want you to go to the people who are in most need, who are most vulnerable. They are welcome at my table. Go invite them in. And he says, then I'm going to send you to the highways and hedges. So that's the edges of the city, okay? And so you could uh, interpret that to mean I'm going to send you to the people who you think would be the last people who would ever be invited to the kingdom of God, the most lost people to the Gentiles. 
and invite them in because they are now going to be welcome at my table because the people I first invited have now refused. See, listen, biblical hospitality, I want you to get this from this parable. Biblical hospitality is not about putting on a great feast and inviting everyone you know is going to love that feast. It's not just about the great centerpiece and the awesome food and and everything is perfect and right and everyone's enjoying themselves. That's a huge piece of biblical hospitality, right? Good food and all that stuff. Massive piece, but here's biblical hospitality, that there's a chair open for the outsider. There's a chair open for the people that the, the church would think would be the last people who would ever sit there. There's a chair open for the person that has all the baggage, and they might make things a little awkward when they sit at that table because they've never been at a table like this before. That's biblical hospitality. God says, I want you to go to the most broken and vulnerable of your city, and I want you to invite them to the table. And I know it's a parable, but Jesus is speaking literally here. Because the reality is this. Here's where our theology, our vertical theology, all of our Bible reading translates horizontally to how we live. Because the reality is this, is that God left a seat at the table for you and me. Sinners with a lot of baggage. And he sent out his son to go get you give you a seat. And God very literally is sending out his church for the same exact mission. Go get the sinners. Go get the most hurting, the vulnerable. And offer them a seat at the table. That's biblical hospitality. That's the ministry the church has been called to in this world. To invite them to a table where we feast on God's word, where we're all honest about where God is transforming us and where we are considering the other. That's the table that we have been called to invite people to. And so here's the deal. I'm I'm excited this morning because there's so much I could go into with this parable, all right? But one of the things I want to accomplish this morning is to help communicate to you how we're going to, we're going to, Be faithful to what Jesus has called us to as a church, very practically. Okay, and so I'm really excited this morning because we're going to talk about one of the ways that we're going to try to be faithful to this as a church. There are many ways to be faithful to it, but I want to talk about one of them. And it's through a ministry that we launched a few months ago called The Gap. And instead of me sitting up here and explaining The Gap to you, um, what I'd like to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a video that we had made for you. It's a longer video, but in this video, we explain what the gap is, but we do it through telling you the story of one of your brothers here at Grace Hill, Dustin Stackhouse. And so I want you to see Dustin's story, and then I'll come and join you when the video is over. Check this out. Hello, I'm Dustin Stackhouse, and um, I'm 28 years old. 
and um, married, been married for six years now to Courtney. And uh, we have our, our first child, Eloise, who's just turned a year old. And uh, yeah, here's my story. As I think about the people that my family has been able to serve through the years, through foster care and other means, one of the things that I have learned is that everyone has a hard story. I had a pretty normal upbringing, you know, like, like most kids, I think, where parents are, were there and family was involved. But then as we, my brothers and I, I have two, brother, two other brothers, a identical twin and a brother who's four years younger. But so as we were getting older and my twin and I were, I think, you know, and kind of getting towards the end of elementary school, we started noticing a difference in our family and, and some other kids' families. We got in a car one day and we were driving, apparently driving to the courthouse and my three brothers were sitting in the back seat, or myself and my two brothers were sitting in the back seat. And um, my mom, you know, was sitting in the passenger seat and turned around and told us, hey, we're going to the courthouse and you guys are probably getting taken out, taken out of the house. So, you know, she also told us why they were addicted to drugs and obviously their life wasn't going like it was planned and how it should have been going. So drove to the courthouse and did the whole hearing and everything. And we got placed with my, our great aunt and she lived in Philadelphia. Um, as a foster parent in Fairfax County for the past almost seven years, I have seen firsthand the brokenness of families in our community, um, in our neighborhoods and just the huge need there is for someone to come alongside so many of these families to just be a friend, um, to be a support system, because what these families need when a crisis comes is someone to stick around and um, to, to just help stand in that gap. When you look at our community, we have all kinds of different people who have all kinds of different needs. Uh, immigrants who came here with nothing but clothes on their back. Uh, we've got multiple families living in a one one-bedroom apartment. Uh, we've got moms and dads who are working four or five jobs a day just trying to put food on the table and so their kids have no adult presence or supervision in their life. We have people who grew up in the foster care system and now have children that are in danger of going into the foster care system. The needs around our community are endless. And I think Jesus' calling upon us as a church is to draw near to our neighbors in their need, just like he drew near to us in our need when we needed him the most moved in with her and we lived with her for only seven months because she was had a demanding job as a court reporter and she was single and she just had a one bedroom for the three of us to sleep in and so she found us a, a good foster home to go to and when we were 11 we moved into this foster foster home called Christ Home for Children in Bucks County Pennsylvania and 
um, lived in a group home setting. So there was 10 kids, uh, around 10 kids, and then the family lived there. And um, lots of people have been involved in my life and and that's I give all the credit for where I'm at now to that and one of the the most influential people I mean there's many but if I had to you know talk about one um is my mentor Tom and he he was at one of the churches so the foster parents would take us to church and so one of the churches we, we went to um he was like one of the youth workers or I don't remember what his official title was but he worked with the youth and just over time it's it's kind of funny just over time we just got to got to know each other better and he he would take us out to go bowling or take us out to dinner or he just spent time with us you know we'd play ping pong at a youth group and um, eventually we just got really close and now i basically consider him like my dad you know and i sent him a father's day card and I call him, talk to him, like once a week we go visit him and he comes visit us and um, like Eloise is like, um, like he's like her grandpa, you know, so. Yeah. So many of us, myself included, have amazing support systems around us. We have family and friends that we can call when something happens. If we get into a financial crisis, if something happens to a family member, if we get into an accident, or if we get sick unexpectedly, um, if we lose our job, we have someone that we can call or multiple people that we can call to ask for help and provide support. Um, and there are friends, there are family, there are people that we trust. Unfortunately, there's so many people in our community that don't have that. They are here completely alone. Either they don't have any access to family or they just have no friends because they work so many jobs and they just don't have time to, make, to really reach out to the community. The need in our community is to stand in the gap for these families. We need to go and be their friend, to be their support system, to be able to pick up the pieces where there's just no one else to do that. And if not us, who? Who is going to be there for these families when everything falls apart? If I didn't have Tom in my life, yeah, things would definitely look a lot different because I've always, I've always, he's been like kind of my go-to, like, I don't know what to do. I call him or I, I need some advice, I call him, so. I think it, I would definitely have done some different things, uh, made some different decisions, and I don't know what it would look like differently, but it would definitely look differently. Um, it just, it's just the little things, you know, spending time with people, investing in them, going out of your way to like, like Tom, he's the busiest guy I know. Like he, he works like probably 16 hours a day, you know, but he always finds time to like spend time with people. So I, I would say, yeah, it's not like a, you meet somebody and you know, it's just spending that time, the little things. And that's how you, that's how you build relationships. You don't, you don't do it overnight in one interaction.
The gap exists to invite the lonely and the hurting into a family. Uh, Psalm 68, 6 says that God sets the lonely in families and we believe that God is going to answer that prayer and he's going to fulfill that promise through his church, through you and through me as we faithfully go after the people who are lonely, who are hurting, who are broken, who are marginalized, who are on the outskirts of society. We exist to stand in the gap for them, to come alongside them when there's no one else to help to bring support to them that they so desperately need, to be a consistent, positive adult presence in their life, to support their children, to show them the love of Jesus by being their friends and showing up consistently. So here's how the gap works. What we want to do is we want to form strategic partnerships in our community. So we formed a partnership with Fairfax County Department of Family Services. We have a partnership with Herndon Middle School, and we also have a partnership with Young Lives, a ministry to teen moms. And through these partnerships, we are able to build relationships with the most vulnerable in our community. Our desire through meeting needs, whether it's doing a grocery delivery or if it is mentoring a student at Herndon Middle School or mentoring a teen mom through Young Lives or a number of other opportunities that might come our way, our hope is to be able to build relationships with people, to build trust with people so we can begin to stand in the gap in their lives. Anyone can make a difference in anybody's life. It doesn't matter if you're married, single, whatever, like younger maybe. And uh, my wife and I have struggled with that too. You know, we were young and we wanted to do foster care, but we were like, we're not really ready. But we probably, we, you know, people need, kids, <laughs> kids need people no matter if you're ready or not. And they're not really gonna know the difference. Like they just need someone in their life to, be there for them and spend time with them and stuff like that. So that's what I would say. Yeah, there's there's no prerequisites. You know, you just gotta take care of the take care of people and invest time. Really grateful uh, to Dustin and Courtney for letting us share their story. Grace Hill, this is what we're going to be about. Building relationships with those who are in the most need in our community and inviting them to our table. Several months ago, I had a conversation with someone who works for Fairfax County Department of Family Services. And my wife and I, we've, we've been foster parents um, through them for a number of years, so we have a number of relationships there. And this person asked, she said, hey, I'd, I'd like for us as a, as a county, as a department, to do a pilot program with Grace Hill. We're a small church. I mean, we, you know, we, we don't have tons and tons of resources, but they came to us. And they said, Here, here's what we would like to do. We'd like to see, can we, with family's consent, can we send you families who we've identified as vulnerable? 
in, in a number of different ways or reasons. And, and would you guys be willing to do something real simple? Maybe just deliver groceries to them twice a month. And their words, hopefully a relationship will be built and they can have some support system or structure in their life. The county came to the church. We didn't, we didn't propose this to them. What an opportunity this is as the church to say, we take care of people. And listen, we've started, with, so we jumped straight in. We're like, we'll start tomorrow. And, and y'all, some of you have been involved in this. And you, yeah, there's a lot of logistics that we've been working out on the fly and figuring it out. But we were just like, we're, we're gonna go. Yes, let's go. This is what Jesus has called us to. And we have so many other opportunities through young lives and through uh, mentoring here at Herndon Middle School to build relationships with our neighbors and to hopefully, to pray for them and hopefully have the opportunity to share about the hope that we have in Christ. And so Grace Hill, we're, this is what we're gonna be about. And so here's what I'm asking each and, and every one of you is as you walk out today when we're done, um, you're gonna be handed this card. It's just a really simple card and it's asking you to pray. And it's asking you to pray about where might God be calling you to be involved with this? You know, he might be calling you to be very much involved with helping us deliver groceries to these families or mentoring a young teen mom uh, through Young Lives or mentoring a student here at Herndon Middle or other opportunities. He might be calling you to help contribute to our benevolence fund, which is how we fund some of these things. I don't know, but I want you to be praying about it because this is what we're gonna be about. This is a huge piece of who we're gonna be at Grace Hill Church because this is what God has called us to do, to go out to the streets and lanes of our city, to the highways and hedges and invite people in because God desires for his house to be full. So I'm asking you to pray. Pray where God might be calling you to invest time. That might be right there the, the singular most radical thing we could do as a church. It's for people in the church to say, in the midst of the busyness and craziness that is my life, I am going to invest time. I'm gonna open a seat for the outsider. Let me pray. And we're gonna close our time in worship. God, I pray that you would begin to grow in each and every one of us the heart that Jesus has for the outsider and the broken. God, we confess that we would not be here today. We would not be people who follow Jesus if Jesus didn't have a heart for the broken and the outsider because that's us and we've been invited in. And so, God, I pray you would use our church, Grace Hill Church, to love and serve our community in so many different ways. And, God, through that, through loving our neighbors well, we would have the opportunity to proclaim the hope that we have. God, we pray that you would draw many people into your kingdom, many people into a saving relationship with you in and through Jesus Christ, through our efforts to stand in the gap and love and serve our neighbors in the most need. So God, would you multiply our efforts? 
Would you help each person in here and, and watching online and, and how they're gonna pray through what it looks like for them to be involved? I pray that by your spirit, you would just make that call very clear. God, would you open up time on our calendars? Would you open up willingness in our heart to do the things that you have called us to do as a church? We love you, God, and we thank you for the privilege that you look to us, that you send us out to invite people in. God, help us to be faithful to that call. In Christ's name, amen.